What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Volume 1, Part 1, Chapter 40 of The Ingenious Gentleman Don Quixote of La Mancha by Miguel de Cervantes Saavedra. Translated by John Ormsby, 1829-1895. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Volume 1, Part 1, Chapter 40 In which the story of the captive is continued. Sonnet Blessed souls that from this mortal husk set free, In guerdon of brave deeds beatified, above this lowly orb of ours abide made heirs of heaven in immortality with noble rage and ardour glowing ye your strength while strength was yours in battle plied and with your own blood in the foemen's dyed the sandy soil and the encircling sea it was the ebbing life-blood first that failed the weary arms the stout hearts never quailed though vanquished yet ye earned the victor's crown though mourned yet still triumphant was your fall for there ye won between the sword and wall in heaven glory and on earth renown that is it exactly according to my recollection said the captive well then that on the fort said the gentleman if my memory serves me goes thus sonnet up from this wasted soil this shattered shell whose walls and towers here in ruin lie Three thousand soldier souls took wing on high in the bright mansions of the blessed to dwell. The onslaught of the foemen to repel by might of arm, all vainly did they try, and when at length twas left them but to die, wearied and few the last defenders fell. And this same arid soil hath ever been a haunt of countless mournful memories, as well in our day as in days of yore but never yet to heaven it sent i ween from its hard bosom purer souls than these or braver bodies on its surface bore the sonnets were not disliked and the captive was rejoiced at the tidings they gave him of his comrade and continuing his tale he went on to say the galetta and the fort being thus in their hands 
the turks gave orders to dismantle the galetta for the fort was reduced to such a state that there was nothing left to level and to do the work more quickly and easily they mined it in three places but nowhere were they able to blow up the part which seemed to be the least strong that is to say the old walls while all that remained standing of the new fortifications that the fratin had made came to the ground with the greatest ease finally the fleet returned victorious and triumphant to constantinople and a few months later died my master el uchali otherwise uchali fartaks which means in turkish the scabby renegade for that he was it is the practice with the turks to name people from some defect or virtue they may possess the reason being that there are among them only four surnames belonging to families tracing their descent from the ottoman house and the others as i have said take their names and surnames either from bodily blemishes or moral qualities this scabby one rowed at the oar as a slave of the grand seniors for fourteen years and when over thirty-four years of age in resentment at having been struck by a turk while at the oar turned renegade and renounced his faith in order to be able to revenge himself and such was his valour that without owing his advancement to the base ways and means by which most favourites of the grand seigneur rise to power he came to be king of algiers and afterwards general on sea which is the third place of trust in the realm he was a calabrian by birth and a worthy man morally and he treated his slaves with great humanity he had three thousand of them and after his death they were divided as he directed by his will between the grand seigneur who is heir of all who die and shares with the children of the deceased and his renegades i fell to the law of a venetian renegade who when a cabin boy on board a ship had been taken by uchali and was so much beloved by him that he became one of his most favoured youths he came to be the most cruel renegade i ever saw his name was hassan aga and he grew very rich and became king of algiers with him i went there from constantinople rather glad to be so near spain not that i intended to write to any one about my unhappy lot but to try if fortune would be kinder to me in algiers than in constantinople where i had attempted in a thousand ways to escape without ever finding a favourable time or chance but in algiers i resolved to seek for other means of effecting the purpose i cherished so dearly for the hope of obtaining my liberty never deserted me and when in my plots and schemes and attempts the result did not answer my expectations without giving way to despair i immediately began to look out for or conjure up some new hope to support me however faint or feeble it might be in this way i lived on immured in a building or prison called by the turks a bagno in which they confined the christian captives as well as those that are the kings as those belonging to private individuals and also what they called those of the amasen which is as much as to say the slaves of the municipality who serve the city in the public works and other employments but captives of this kind recover their liberty with great difficulty for as they are public property and have no particular master there is no one with whom to treat for their ransom even though they may have the means to these bagnos as i have said some private individuals of the town are in the habit of bringing their captives especially when they are to be ransomed because there they can keep them in safety and comfort until their ransom arrives 
the king's captives also that are on ransom do not go out to work with the rest of the crew unless when their ransom is delayed for then to make them write for it more pressingly they compel them to work and go for wood which is no light labour i however was one of those on ransom for when it was discovered that i was a captain although i declared my scanty means and want of fortune nothing could dissuade them from including me among the gentlemen and those waiting to be ransomed they put a chain on me more as a mark of this than to keep me safe and so i passed my life in that bagno with several other gentlemen and persons of quality marked out as held to ransom but though at times or rather almost always we suffered from hunger and scanty clothing nothing distressed us so much as hearing and seeing at every turn the unexampled and unheard-of cruelties my master inflicted upon the christians every day he hanged a man impaled one cut off the ears of another and all with so little provocation or so entirely without any that the turks acknowledged he did it merely for the sake of doing it and because he was by nature murderously disposed towards the whole human race the only one that fared at all well with him was a spanish soldier something de saavedra by name to whom he never gave a blow himself or ordered a blow to be given or addressed a hard word although he had done things that will dwell in the memory of the people there for many a year and all to recover his liberty and for the least of the many things he did we all dreaded that he would be impaled and he himself was in fear of it more than once and only that time does not allow i could tell you now something of what that soldier did that would interest and astonish you much more than the narration of my own tale to go on with my story the courtyard of our prison was overlooked by the windows of the house belonging to a wealthy moor of high position and these as is usual in moorish houses were rather loopholes than windows and besides were covered with thick and close blinds it so happened then that as i was one day on the terrace of our prison with three other comrades trying to pass away the time how far we could leap with our chains we being alone for all the other christians had gone out to work i chanced to raise my eyes and from one of these little closed windows i saw a reed appear with a cloth attached to the end of it and it kept waving to and fro and moving as if making signs to us to come and take it we watched it and one of those who were with me went and stood under the reed to see whether they would let it drop or what they would do but as he did so the reed was raised and moved from side to side as if they meant to say no by a shake of the head the christian came back and it was again lowered making the same movements as before another of my comrades went and with him the same happened as with the first and then the third went forward but with the same results as the first and second seeing this i did not like to try my luck and as soon as i came under the reed it was dropped and fell inside the bagno at my feet i hastened to untie the cloth in which i perceived a knot and in this were ten cianis which are coins of base gold current among the moors and each worth ten reals of our money it is needless to say i rejoiced over this godsend and my joy was not less than my wonder as i strove to imagine how this good fortune could have come to us but to me specially for the evident unwillingness to drop the reed for any but me showed that it was for me the favour was intended i took my welcome money 
broke the reed and returned to the terrace and looking up at the window i saw a very white hand put out that opened and shut very quickly from this we gathered or fancied that it must be some woman living in that house that had done us this kindness and to show that we were grateful for it we made salams after the fashion of the moors bowing the head bending the body and crossing the arms on the breast shortly afterwards at the same window a small cross made of reeds was put out and immediately withdrawn this sign led us to believe that some christian woman was a captive in the house and that it was she who had been so good to us but the whiteness of the hand and the bracelets we had perceived made us dismiss that idea though we thought it might be one of the christian renegades whom their masters very often take as lawful wives and gladly for they prefer them to the women of their own nation in all our conjectures we were wide of the truth so from that time forward our sole occupation was watching and gazing at the window where the cross had appeared to us as if it were our pole star but at least fifteen days passed without our seeing it or the hand or any other sign whatever and though meanwhile we endeavoured with the utmost pains to ascertain who it was that lived in the house and whether there were any christian renegade in it nobody could ever tell us anything more than that he who lived there was a rich moor of high position haji morato by name formerly alcaide of lapata an office of high dignity among them but when we least thought it was going to rain any more cianis from that quarter we saw the reed suddenly appear with another cloth tied in a larger knot attached to it and this at a time when as on the former occasion the bano was deserted and unoccupied we made trial as before each of the same three going forward before i did but the reed was delivered to none but me and on my approach it was let drop i untied the knot and i found forty spanish gold crowns with a paper written in arabic and at the end of the writing there was a large cross drawn i kissed the cross took the crowns and returned to the terrace and we all made our salams again the hand appeared i made signs that i would read the paper and then the window was closed we were all puzzled though filled with joy at what had taken place and as none of us understood arabic great was our curiosity to know what the paper contained and still greater the difficulty of finding some one to read it at last i resolved to confide in a renegade a native of mercia who professed a very great friendship for me and had given pledges that bound him to keep any secret i might entrust to him for it is the custom with some renegades when they intend to return to christian territory to carry about with them certificates from captives of mark testifying in whatever form they can that such and such a renegade is a worthy man who has always shown kindness to christians and is anxious to escape on the first opportunity that may present itself some obtain these testimonials with good intentions others put them to a cunning use for when they go to pillage on christian territory if they chance to be cast away or taken prisoners they produce their certificates and say that from these papers may be seen the object they came for which was to remain on christian ground and that it was to this end they joined the turks in their foray in this way they escape the consequences of the first outburst and make their peace with the church before it does them any harm and then when they have the chance they return to barbary to become what they were before others however there are who procure these papers and make use of them honestly and remain on christian soil this friend of mine then was one of these renegades that i have described 
he had certificates from all our comrades in which we testified in his favor as strongly as we could and if the moors had found the papers they would have burned him alive i knew that he understood arabic very well and could not only speak but also write it but before i disclosed the whole matter to him i asked him to read for me this paper which i had found by accident in a hole in my cell he opened it and remained some time examining it and muttering to himself as he translated it i asked him if he understood it and he told me he did perfectly well and that if i wished him to tell me its meaning word for word i must give him pen and ink that he might do it more satisfactorily we at once gave him what he required and he set about translating it bit by bit and when he had done he said all that is here in spanish is what the moorish paper contains and you must bear in mind that when it says Leila marian it means our lady the virgin mary we read the paper and it ran thus when i was a child my father had a slave who taught me to pray the christian prayer in my own language and told me many things about Leila marian the christian died and i know that she did not go to the fire but to allah because since then i have seen her twice and she told me to go to the land of the christians to see Leila marian who had great love for me i know not how to go i have seen many christians but except thyself none has seemed to me to be a gentleman i am young and beautiful and have plenty of money to take with me see if thou canst contrive how we may go and if thou wilt thou shalt be my husband there and if thou wilt not it will not distress me for Leila marian will find me someone to marry me i myself have written this have a care to whom thou givest it to read trust no more for they are all perfidious i am greatly troubled on this account for i would not have thee confide in any one because if my father knew it he would at once fling me down a well and cover me with stones i will put a thread to the reed tie the answer to it and if thou hast no one to write for thee in arabic tell it to me by signs for Leila marian will make me understand thee she and allah and this cross which i often kiss as the captive bade me protect thee judge sirs whether we had reason for surprise and joy at the words of this paper and both one and the other were so great that the renegade perceived that the paper had not been found by chance but had been in reality addressed to some one of us and he begged us if what he suspected were the truth to trust him and tell him all for he would risk his life for our freedom and so saying he took out from his breast a metal crucifix and with many tears swore by the god the image represented in whom sinful and wicked as he was he truly and faithfully believed to be loyal to us and keep secret whatever we chose to reveal to him for he thought and almost foresaw that by means of her who had written that paper he and all of us would obtain our liberty and he himself obtained the object he so much desired his restoration to the bosom of the holy mother church from which by his own sin and ignorance he was now severed like a corrupt limb the renegade said this with so many tears and such signs of repentance that with one consent we all agreed to tell him the whole truth of the matter and so we gave him a full account of all without hiding anything from him we pointed out to him the window at which the reed appeared and he by that means took note of the house and resolved to ascertain with particular care who lived in it we agreed also that it would be advisable to answer the moorish lady's letter and the renegade without a moment's delay took down the words i dictated to him which were exactly what i shall tell you 
for nothing of importance that took place in this affair has escaped my memory or ever will while life lasts this then was the answer returned to the moorish lady the true allah protect thee lady and that blessed marian who is the true mother of god and who has put it into thy heart to go to the land of the christians because she loves thee entreat her that she be pleased to show thee how thou canst execute the command she gives thee for she will such is her goodness on my own part and on that of all these christians who are with me i promise to do all that we can for thee even to death fail not to write to me and inform me what thou dost mean to do and i will always answer thee for the great allah has given us a christian captive who can speak and write thy language well as thou mayest see by this paper without fear therefore thou canst inform us of all thou wouldst as to what thou sayest that if thou dost reach the land of the christians thou wilt be my wife i give thee my promise upon it as a good christian and know that the christians keep their promises better than the moors allah and marian his mother watch over thee my lady the paper being written and folded i waited two days until the banya was empty as before and immediately repaired to the usual walk on the terrace to see if there were any sign of the reed which was not long in making its appearance as soon as i saw it although i could not distinguish who put it out i showed the paper as a sign to attach the thread but it was already fixed to the reed and to it i tied the paper and shortly afterwards our star once more made its appearance with the white flag of peace the little bundle it was dropped and i picked it up and found in the cloth in gold and silver coins of all sorts more than fifty crowns which fifty times more doubled our joy and strengthened our hope of gaining our liberty that very night our renegade returned and said he had learned that the more we had been told of lived in that house that his name was haji morato that he was enormously rich that he had only one daughter the heiress of all his wealth and that it was the general opinion throughout the city that she was the most beautiful woman in barbary and that several of the viceroys who came there had sought her for a wife but that she had been always unwilling to marry and he had learned moreover that she had a christian slave who was now dead all which agreed with the contents of the paper we immediately took counsel with the renegade as to what means would have to be adopted in order to carry off the moorish lady and bring us all to christian territory and in the end it was agreed that for the present we should wait for a second communication from zoraida for that was the name of her who now desires to be called maria because we saw clearly that she and no one else could find a way out of all these difficulties when we had decided upon this the renegade told us not to be uneasy for he would lose his life or restore us to liberty for four days the bagno was filled with people for which reason the reed delayed its appearance for four days but at the end of that time when the bagno was as it generally was empty it appeared with a cloth so bulky that it promised a happy birth reed and cloth came down to me and i found another paper and a hundred crowns in gold without any other coin the renegade was present and in our cell we gave him the paper to read which he said was to this effect i cannot think of a plan senor for our going to spain nor had leila marian shown me one though i have asked her all that can be done is for me to give you plenty of money in gold from this window with it ransom yourself and your friends and let one of you go to the land of the christians and there buy a vessel and come back for the others and he will find me in my father's garden which is at the babazun gate 
near the seashore where i shall be all this summer with my father and my servants you can carry me away from there by night without any danger and bring me to the vessel and remember thou art to be my husband else i will pray to marion to punish thee if thou canst not trust any one to go for the vessel ransom thyself and do thou go for i know thou wilt return more surely than any other as thou art a gentleman and a christian endeavour to make thyself acquainted with the garden and when i see thee walking yonder i shall know that the bagno is empty and i will give thee abundance of money allah protect thee senor these were the words and contents of the second paper and on hearing them each declared himself willing to be the ransomed one and promised to go in return with scrupulous good faith and i too made the same offer but to all this the renegade objected saying that he would not on any account consent to one being set free before all went together as experience had taught him how ill those who had been set free keep promises which they made in captivity for captives of distinction frequently had recourse to this plan paying the ransom of one who was to go to valencia or majorca with money to enable him to arm a bark and return for the others who had ransomed him but who never came back for recovered liberty and the dread of losing it again effaced from the memory all the obligations in the world and to prove the truth of what he said he told us briefly what had happened to a certain christian gentleman almost at that very time the strangest case that had ever occurred even there where astonishing and marvellous things are happening every instant in short he ended by saying that what could and ought to be done was to give the money intended for the ransom of one of us christians to him so that he might with it buy a vessel there in algiers under the pretence of becoming a merchant and trading to tetuan and along the coast and when master of the vessel it would be easy for him to hit on some way of getting us all out of the bagno and putting us on board especially if the moorish lady gave as she said money enough to ransom all because once free it would be the easiest thing in the world for us to embark even in open day but the greatest difficulty was that the moors do not allow any renegade to buy or own any craft unless it be a large vessel for going on roving expeditions because they are afraid that any one who buys a small vessel especially if he be a spaniard only wants it for the purpose of escaping to christian territory this however he could get over by arranging with a tagarin moor to go shares with him in the purchase of the vessel and in the profit on the cargo and under cover of this he could become master of the vessel in which case he looked upon all the rest as accomplished but though to me and my comrades it had seemed a better plan to send to majorca for the vessel as the moorish lady suggested we did not dare to oppose him fearing that if we did not do as he said he would denounce us and place us in danger of losing all our lives if he were to disclose our dealings with zoraida for whose life we would have all given our own we therefore resolved to put ourselves in the hands of god and in the renegades and at the same time an answer was given to zoraida telling her that we would do all she recommended for she had given as good advice as if leila marian had delivered it and that it depended on her alone whether we were to defer the business or put it in execution at once i renewed my promise to be her husband and thus the next day that the bagno chanced to be empty she at different times gave us by means of the reed and cloth two thousand gold crowns and a paper in which she said that the next huma that is to say friday she was going to her father's garden 
but that before she went she would give us more money and if it were not enough we were to let her know as she would give us as much as we asked for her father had so much he would not miss it and besides she kept all the keys we at once gave the renegade five hundred crowns to buy the vessel and with eight hundred i ransomed myself giving the money to a valencian merchant who happened to be in algiers at the time and who had me released on his word pledging it that on the arrival of the first ship from valencia he would pay my ransom for if he had given the money at once it would have made the king suspect that my ransom money had been for a long time in algiers and that the merchant had for his own advantage kept it secret in fact my master was so difficult to deal with that i dared not on any account pay down the money at once the thursday before the friday in which the fair zoraida was to go to the garden she gave us a thousand crowns more and warned us of her departure begging me if i were ransomed to find out her father's garden at once and by all means to seek an opportunity of going there to see her i answered in a few words that i would do so and that she must remember to commend us to leila marian with all the prayers the captive had taught her this having been done steps were taken to ransom our three comrades so as to enable them to quit the bagno and lest seeing me ransomed and themselves not though the money was forthcoming they should make a disturbance about it and the devil should prompt them to do something that might injure zoraida for though their position might be sufficient to relieve me from this apprehension nevertheless i was unwilling to run any risk in the matter and so i had them ransomed in the same way as i was handing over all the money to the merchant so that he might with safety and confidence give security without however confiding our arrangement and secret to him which might have been dangerous end of volume one part one chapter forty recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter forty one of the ingenious gentleman don quixote of la mancha by miguel de cervantes saavedra translated by john ormsby eighteen twenty nine to eighteen ninety five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter forty one in which the captive still continues his adventures before fifteen days were over our renegade had already purchased an excellent vessel with room for more than thirty persons and to make the transaction safe and lend a colour to it he thought it well to make as he did a voyage to a place called Cherchel, twenty leagues from algiers on the oran side where there is an extensive trade in dried figs two or three times he made this voyage in company with the tagarine already mentioned the moors of aragon are called tagarines in barbary and those of granada mudejares but in the kingdom of fez they call the mudejares elkes and they are the people the king chiefly employs in war to proceed every time he passed with his vessel he anchored in a cove that was not two crossbow shots from the garden where zoraida was waiting and there the renegade together with the two moorish lads that rode used purposely to station himself either going through his prayers or else practising as a part what he meant to perform in earnest and thus he would go to zoraida's garden and ask for fruit which her father gave him not knowing him 
but though as he afterwards told me he sought to speak to zoraida and tell her who he was and that by my orders he was to take her to the land of the christians so that she might feel satisfied and easy he had never been able to do so for the moorish women do not allow themselves to be seen by any moor or turk unless their husband or fathers bid them with christian captives they permit freedom of intercourse and communication even more than might be considered proper but for my part i should have been sorry if he had spoken to her for perhaps it might have alarmed her to find her affairs talked of by renegades but god who ordered it otherwise afforded no opportunity for our renegades well-meant purpose and he seeing how safely he could go to Cherchel and return and anchor when and how and where he liked and that the tagarin his partner had no will but his and that now i was ransomed all we wanted was to find some christians to row told me to look out for any i should be willing to take with me over and above those who had been ransomed and to engage them for the next friday which he fixed upon for our departure on this i spoke to twelve spaniards all stout rowers and such as could most easily leave the city but it was no easy matter to find so many just then because there were twenty ships out on a cruise and they had taken all the rowers with them and these would not have been found were it not that their master remained at home that summer without going to sea in order to finish a galliot that he had upon the stocks to these men i said nothing more than that the next friday in the evening they were to come out stealthily one by one and hang about haji morato's garden waiting for me there until i came these directions i gave each one separately with orders that if they saw any other christians there they were not to say anything to them except that i had directed them to wait at that spot this preliminary having been settled another still more necessary step had to be taken which was to let zoraida know how matters stood that she might be prepared and forewarned so as not to be taken by surprise if we were suddenly to seize upon her before she thought the christian's vessel could have returned i determined therefore to go to the garden and try if i could speak to her and the day before my departure i went there under the pretence of gathering herbs the first person i met was her father who addressed me in the language that all over barbary and even in constantinople is the medium between captives and moors and is neither morisco nor castilian nor of any other nation but a mixture of all languages by means of which we can all understand one another in this sort of language i say he asked me what i wanted in his garden and to whom i belonged i replied that i was a slave of the arno mami for i knew as a certainty that he was a very great friend of his and that i wanted some herbs to make a salad he asked me then whether i were on ransom or not and what my master demanded for me while these questions and answers were proceeding the fair zoraida who had already perceived me some time before came out of the house in the garden and as moorish women are by no means particular about letting themselves be seen by christians or as i have said before at all coy she had no hesitation in coming to where her father stood with me moreover her father seeing her approaching slowly called to her to come it would be beyond my power now to describe to you the great beauty the high-bred air the rich brilliant attire of my beautiful zoraida as she presented herself before my eyes i will content myself with saying that more pearls hung from her fair neck her ears and her hair 
than she had hairs on her head on her ankles which as is customary were bare she had carcajes for so bracelets or anklets are called in morisco of the purest gold set with so many diamonds that she told me afterwards her father valued them at ten thousand doubloons and those she had on her wrists were worth as much more the pearls were in profusion and very fine for the highest display and adornment of the moorish women is decking themselves with rich pearls and seed pearls and of these there are therefore more among the moors than among any other people zoraida's father had the reputation of possessing a great number and the purest in all algiers and of possessing also more than two hundred thousand spanish crowns and she who is now mistress of me only was mistress of all this whether thus adorned she would have been beautiful or not and what she must have been in her prosperity may be imagined from the beauty remaining to her after so many hardships for as every one knows the beauty of some women has its times and its seasons and is increased or diminished by chance causes and naturally the emotions of the mind will heighten or impair it though indeed more frequently they totally destroy it in a word she presented herself before me that day attired with the utmost splendour and supremely beautiful at any rate she seemed to me the most beautiful object i had ever seen and when besides i thought of all i owed to her i felt as though i had before me some heavenly being come to earth to bring me relief and happiness as she approached her father told her in his own language that i was a captive belonging to his friend the arno mami and that i had come for salad she took up the conversation and in that mixture of tongues i have spoken of she asked me if i was a gentleman and why i was not ransomed i answered that i was already ransomed and that by the price it might be seen what value my master set on me as they had given one thousand five hundred zoltanis for me to which she replied hadst thou been my father as i can tell thee i would not have let him part with thee for twice as much for you christians always tell lies about yourselves and make yourselves out poor to cheat the moors that may be lady said i but indeed i dealt truthfully with my master as i do and mean to do with everybody in the world and when dost thou go said zoraida to-morrow i think said i for there is a vessel here from france which sails to-morrow and i think i shall go in her would it not be better said zoraida to wait for the arrival of ships from spain and go with them and not with the french who are not your friends no said i though if there were intelligence that a vessel were now coming from spain it is true i might perhaps wait for it however it is more likely i shall depart to-morrow for the longing i feel to return to my country and to those i love is so great that it will not allow me to wait for another opportunity however more convenient if it be delayed no doubt thou art married in thine own country said zoraida and for that reason thou art anxious to go and see thy wife i am not married i replied but i have given my promise to marry on my arrival there and is the lady beautiful to whom thou hast given it said zoraida so beautiful said i that to describe her worthily and tell thee the truth she is very like thee at this her father laughed very heartily and said by allah christian she must be very beautiful if she is like my daughter who is the most beautiful woman in all this kingdom only look at her well and thou wilt see i am telling the truth zoraida's father as the better linguist helped to interpret most of these words and phrases 
for though she spoke the bastard language that as i have said is employed there she expressed her meaning more by signs than by words while we were still engaged in this conversation a moor came running up exclaiming that four turks had leaped over the fence or wall of the garden and were gathering the fruit though it was not yet ripe the old man was alarmed and zoraida too for the moors commonly and so to speak instinctively have a dread of the turks but particularly of the soldiers who are so insolent and domineering to the moors who are under their power that they treat them worse than if they were their slaves so her father said to zoraida daughter retire into the house and shut thyself in while i go and speak to these dogs and thou christian pick thy herbs and go in peace and allah bring thee safe to thine own country i bowed and he went away to look for the turks leaving me alone with zoraida who made as if she were about to retire as her father bade her but the moment he was concealed by the trees of the garden turning to me with her eyes full of tears she said tameji cristiano tameji that is to say art thou going christian art thou going i made answer yes lady but not without thee come what may be on the watch for me on the next huma and be not alarmed when thou seest us for most surely we shall go to the land of the christians this i said in such a way that she understood perfectly all that passed between us and throwing her arm round my neck she began with feeble steps to move towards the house but as fate would have it and it might have been very unfortunate if heaven had not otherwise ordered it just as we were moving on in the manner and position i have described with her arm round my neck her father as he returned after having sent away the turks saw how we were walking and we perceived that he saw us but zoraida ready and quick-witted took care not to remove her arm from my neck but on the contrary drew closer to me and laid her head on my breast bending her knees a little and showing all the signs and tokens of fainting while i at the same time made it seem as though i were supporting her against my will her father came running up to where we were and seeing his daughter in this state asked what was the matter with her she however giving no answer he said no doubt she has fainted in alarm at the entrance of those dogs and taking her from mine he drew her to his own breast while she sighing her eyes still wet with tears said again ameji cristiani ameji go christian go to this her father replied there is no need daughter for the christian to go for he has done thee no harm and the turks have now gone feel no alarm there is nothing to hurt thee for as i say the turks at my request have gone back the way they came it was they who terrified her as thou hast said senor said i to her father but since she tells me to go i have no wish to displease her peace be with thee and with thy leave i will come back to this garden for herbs if need be for my master says there are nowhere better herbs for salad than here come back for any thou hast need of replied haji morato for my daughter does not speak thus because she is displeased with thee or any christian she only meant that the turks should go not thou or that it was time for thee to look for thy herbs with this i at once took my leave of both and she looking as though her heart were breaking retired with her father while pretending to look for herbs i made the round of the garden at my ease and studied carefully all the approaches and outlets and the fastenings of the house and everything that could be taken advantage of to make our task easy having done so i went and gave an account of all that had taken place to the renegade and my comrades and looked forward with impatience to the hour when all fear at an end 
i should find myself in possession of the prize which fortune held out to me in the fair and lovely zoraida the time passed at length and the appointed day we so longed for arrived and all following out the arrangement and plan which after careful consideration and many a long discussion we had decided upon we succeeded as fully as we could have wished for on the friday following the day upon which i spoke to zoraida in the garden the renegade anchored his vessel at nightfall almost opposite the spot where she was the christians who were to row were ready and in hiding in different places round about all waiting for me anxious and elated and eager to attack the vessel they had before their eyes for they did not know the renegade's plan but expected that they were to gain their liberty by force of arms and by killing the moors who were on board the vessel as soon then as i and my comrades made our appearance all those that were in hiding seeing us came and joined us it was now the time when the city gates are shut and there was no one to be seen in all the space outside when we were collected together we debated whether it would be better first to go for zoraida or to make prisoners of the moorish rowers who rowed in the vessel but while we were still uncertain our renegade came up asking us what kept us as it was now the time and all the moors were off their guard and most of them asleep we told him why we hesitated but he said it was of more importance first to secure the vessel which could be done with the greatest ease and without any danger and then we could go for zoraida we all approved of what he said and so without further delay guided by him we made for the vessel and he leaping on board first drew his cutlass and said in morisco let no one stir from this if he does not want it to cost him life by this almost all the christians were on board and the moors who were faint-hearted hearing their captain speak in this way were cowed and without any one of them taking to his arms and indeed they had few or hardly any they submitted without saying a word to be bound by the christians who quickly secured them threatening them that if they raised any kind of outcry they would be all put to the sword this having been accomplished and half of our party being left to keep guard over them the rest of us again taking the renegade as our guide hastened towards haji morato's garden and as good luck would have it on trying the gate it opened as readily as if it had not been locked and so quite quietly and in silence we reached the house without being perceived by anybody the lovely zoraida was waiting for us at a window and as soon as she perceived that there were people there she asked in a low voice if we were nizarani as much as to say or ask if we were christians i answered that we were and begged her to come down as soon as she recognized me she did not delay an instant but without answering a word came down immediately opened the door and presented herself before us all so beautiful and so richly attired that i cannot attempt to describe her the moment i saw her i took her hand and kissed it and the renegade and my two comrades did the same and the rest who knew nothing of the circumstances did as they saw us do for it only seemed as if we were returning thanks to her and recognizing her as the giver of our liberty the renegade asked her in the morisco language if her father was in the house she replied that he was and that he was asleep then it will be necessary to waken him and take him with us said the renegade and everything of value in this fair mansion nay said she my father must not on any account be touched and there is nothing in the house except what i shall take and that will be quite enough to enrich and satisfy all of you wait a little and you shall see and so saying she went in again 
telling us she would return immediately and bidding us keep quiet without making any noise i asked the renegade what had passed between them and when he told me i declared that nothing should be done except in accordance with the wishes of zoraida who now came back with a little trunk so full of gold crowns that she could scarcely carry it unfortunately her father awoke while this was going on and hearing a noise in the garden came to the window and at once perceiving that all those who were there were christians raising a prodigiously loud outcry he began to call out in arabic christians christians thieves thieves by which cries we were all thrown into the greatest fear and embarrassment but the renegade seeing the danger we were in and how important it was for him to effect his purpose before we were heard mounted with the utmost quickness to where haji morato was and with him went some of our party i however did not dare to leave zoraida who had fallen almost fainting in my arms to be brief those who had gone upstairs acted so promptly that in an instant they came down carrying haji morato with his hands bound and a napkin tied over his mouth which prevented him from uttering a word warning him at the same time that to attempt to speak would cost him his life when his daughter caught sight of him she covered her eyes so as not to see him and her father was horror-stricken not knowing how willingly she had placed herself in our hands but it was now most essential for us to be on the move and carefully and quickly we regained the vessel where those who had remained on board were waiting for us in apprehension of some mishap having befallen us it was barely two hours after night set in when we were all on board the vessel where the cords were removed from the hands of zoraida's father and the napkin from his mouth but the renegade once more told him not to utter a word or they would take his life he when he saw his daughter there began to sigh piteously and still more when he perceived that i held her closely embraced and that she lay quiet without resisting or complaining or showing any reluctance nevertheless he remained silent lest they should carry into effect the repeated threats the renegade had addressed to him finding herself now on board and that we were about to give way with the oars zoraida seeing her father there and the other moors bound bade the renegade ask me to do her the favour of releasing the moors and setting her father at liberty for she would rather drown herself in the sea than suffer a father that had loved her so dearly to be carried away captive before her eyes and on her account the renegade repeated this to me and i replied that i was very willing to do so but he replied that it was not advisable because if they were left there they would at once raise the country and stir up the city and lead to the dispatch of swift cruisers in pursuit and our being taken by sea or land without any possibility of escape and that all that could be done was to set them free on the first christian ground we reached on this point we all agreed and zoraida to whom it was explained together with the reasons that prevented us from doing at once what she desired was satisfied likewise and then in glad silence and with cheerful alacrity each of our stout rowers took his oar and commending ourselves to god with all our hearts we began to shape our course for the island of majorca the nearest christian land owing however to the tramontana rising a little and the sea growing somewhat rough it was impossible for us to keep a straight course for majorca and we were compelled to coast in the direction of oran not without great uneasiness on our part lest we should be observed from the town of Cherchel, which lies on that coast not more than sixty miles from algiers moreover 
we were afraid of meeting on that course one of the galliots that usually come with goods from tetuan although each of us for himself and all of us together felt confident that if we were to meet a merchant galliot so that it were not a cruiser not only should we not be lost but that we should take a vessel in which we could more safely accomplish our voyage as we pursued our course zoraida kept her head between my hands so as not to see her father and i felt sure that she was praying to leila marian to help us we might have made about thirty miles when daybreak found us some three musket shots off the land which seemed to us deserted and without any one to see us for all that however by hard rowing we put out a little to sea for it was now somewhat calmer and having gained about two leagues the word was given to row by batches while we ate something for the vessel was well provided but the rowers said it was not a time to take any rest let food be served out to those who were not rowing but they would not leave their oars on any account this was done but now a stiff breeze began to blow which obliged us to leave off rowing and make sail at once and steer for oran as it was impossible to make any other course all this was done very promptly and under sail we ran more than eight miles an hour without any fear except that of coming across some vessel out on a roving expedition we gave the moorish rowers some food and the renegade comforted them by telling them that they were not held as captives as we should set them free on the first opportunity the same was said to zoraida's father who replied anything else o christian i might hope for or think likely from your generosity and good behaviour but do not think me so simple as to imagine you will give me my liberty for you would have never exposed yourselves to the danger of depriving me of it only to restore it to me so generously especially as you know who i am and the sum you may expect to receive on restoring it and if you will only name that i here offer you all you require for myself and for my unhappy daughter there or else for her alone for she is the greatest and most precious part of my soul as he said this he began to weep so bitterly that he filled us all with compassion and forced zoraida to look at him and when she saw him weeping she was so moved that she rose from my feet and ran to throw her arms round him and pressing her face to his they both gave way to such an outburst of tears that several of us were constrained to keep them company but when her father saw her in full dress and with all her jewels about her he said to her in his own language what means this my daughter last night before this terrible misfortune in which we are plunged befell us i saw thee in thy every day in indoor garments and now without having had time to attire thyself and without my bringing thee any joyful tidings to furnish an occasion for adorning and bedecking thyself i see thee arrayed in the finest attire it would be in my power to give thee when fortune was most kind to us answer me this for it causes me greater anxiety and surprise than even this misfortune itself the renegade interpreted to us what the moor said to his daughter she however returned him no answer but when he observed in one corner of the vessel the little trunk in which she used to keep her jewels which he well knew he had left in algiers and had not brought to the garden he was still more amazed and asked her how that trunk had come into our hands and what there was in it to which the renegade without waiting for zoraida to reply made answer do not trouble thyself by asking thy daughter zoraida so many questions senor for the one answer i will give thee will serve for all i would have thee know that she is a christian 
and that it is she who has been the file for our chains and our deliverer from captivity she is here of her own free will as glad i imagine to find herself in this position as he who escapes from darkness into the light from death to life and from suffering to glory daughter is this true what he says cried the moor it is replied zoraida that thou art in truth a christian said the old man and that thou hast given thy father into the power of his enemies to which zoraida made answer a christian i am but it is not i who have placed thee in this position for it never was my wish to leave thee or do thee harm but only to do good to myself and what good hast thou done thyself daughter said he ask thou that said she of leila marian for she can tell thee better than i the moor had hardly heard these words when with marvellous quickness he flung himself head foremost into the sea where no doubt he would have been drowned had not the long and full dress he wore held him up for a little on the surface of the water zoraida cried aloud to us to save him and we all hastened to help and seizing him by his robe we drew him in half drowned and insensible at which zoraida was in such distress that she wept over him as piteously and bitterly as though he were already dead we turned him upon his face and he voided a great quantity of water and at the end of two hours came to himself meanwhile the wind having changed we were compelled to head for the land and ply our oars to avoid being driven on shore but it was our good fortune to make a cove that lies on one side of a small promontory or cape called by the moors that of the cava rumia which in our language means the wicked christian woman for it is a tradition among them that la cava through whom spain was lost lies buried at that spot cava in their language meaning wicked woman and rumia christian moreover they count it unlucky to anchor there when necessity compels them and they never do so otherwise for us however it was not the resting place of the wicked woman but a haven of safety for our relief so much had the sea now got up we posted a lookout on shore and never let the oars out of our hands and eight of the stores the renegade had laid in imploring god and our lady with all our hearts to help and protect us that we might give a happy ending to a beginning so prosperous at the entreaty of zoraida orders were given to set on shore her father and the other moors who were still bound for she could not endure nor could her tender heart bear to see her father in bonds and her fellow-countrymen prisoners before her eyes we promised her to do this at the moment of departure for as it was uninhabited we ran no risk in releasing them at that place our prayers were not so far in vain as to be unheard by heaven for the wind immediately changed in our favour and the sea grew calm inviting us once more to resume our voyage with a good heart seeing this we unbound the moors and one by one put them on shore at which they were filled with amazement but when we came to land zoraida's father who had now completely recovered his senses he said why is it think ye christians that this wicked woman is rejoiced at your giving me my liberty think ye it is because of the affection she bears me nay verily it is only because of the hindrance my presence offers to the executions of her base designs and think not that it is her belief that yours is better than ours that has led her to change her religion it is only because she knows that immodesty is more freely practised in your country than in ours 
then turning to zoraida while i and another of the christians held him fast by both arms lest he should do some mad act he said to her infamous girl misguided maiden whither in thy blindness and madness art thou going in the hands of these dogs our natural enemies cursed be the hour when i begot thee cursed the luxury and indulgence in which i reared thee but seeing that he was not likely soon to cease i made haste to put him on shore and thence he continued his maledictions and lamentations aloud calling on mohammed to pray to allah to destroy us to confound us to make an end of us and when in consequence of having made sail we could no longer hear what he said we could see what he did how he plucked out his beard and tore his hair and lay writhing on the ground once he raised his voice to such a pitch that we were able to hear what he said come back dear daughter come back to shore i forgive thee all let those men have the money for it is theirs now and come back to comfort thy sorrowing father who will yield up his life on this barren strand if thou dost leave him all this zoraida heard and heard with sorrow and tears and all she could say in answer was allah grant that leila marian who has made me become a christian give thee comfort in thy sorrow o my father allah knows that i could not do otherwise than i have done and that these christians owe nothing to my will for even had i wished not to accompany them but remain at home it would have been impossible for me so eagerly did my soul urge me on to the accomplishment of this purpose which i feel to be as righteous as to thee dear father it seems wicked but neither could her father hear her nor we see him when she said this and so while i consoled zoraida we turned our attention to our voyage in which a breeze from the right point so favoured us that we made sure of finding ourselves off the coast of spain on the morrow by daybreak but as good seldom or never comes pure and unmixed without being attended or followed by some disturbing evil that gives a shock to it our fortune or perhaps the curses which the moor had hurled at his daughter for whatever kind of father they may come from these are always to be dreaded brought it about that when we were now in mid-sea and the night about three hours spent as we were running with all sails set and oars lashed for the favouring breeze saved us the trouble of using them we saw by the light of the moon which shone brilliantly a square-rigged vessel in full sail close to us luffing up and standing across our course and so close that we had to strike sail to avoid running foul of her while they too put the helm hard up to let us pass they came to the side of the ship to ask who we were whither we were bound and whence we came but as they asked this in french our renegade said let no one answer for no doubt these are french corsairs who plunder all comers acting on this warning no one answered a word but after we had gone a little ahead and the vessel was now lying to leeward suddenly they fired two guns and apparently both loaded with chain shot for with one they cut our mast in half and brought down both it and the sail into the sea and the other discharged at the same moment sent a ball into our vessel amidships staving her in completely but without doing any further damage we however finding ourselves sinking began to shout for help and call upon those in the ship to pick us up as we were beginning to fill they then lay to and lowering a skiff or boat as many as a dozen frenchmen well armed with matchlocks 
and their matches burning got into it and came alongside and seeing how few we were and that our vessel was going down they took us in telling us that this had come to us through our incivility in not giving them an answer our renegade took the trunk containing zoraida's wealth and dropped it into the sea without any one perceiving what he did in short we went on board with the frenchmen who after having ascertained all they wanted to know about us rifled us of everything we had as if they had been our bitterest enemies and from zoraida they took even the anklets she wore on her feet but the distress they caused her did not distress me so much as the fear i was in that from robbing her of her rich and precious jewels they would proceed to rob her of the most precious jewel that she valued more than all the desires however of those people do not go beyond money but of that their covetousness is insatiable and on this occasion it was carried to such a pitch that they would have taken even the clothes we wore as captives if they had been worth anything to them it was the advice of some of them to throw us all into the sea wrapped up in a sail for their purpose was to trade at some of the ports of spain giving themselves out as bretons and if they brought us alive they would be punished as soon as the robbery was discovered but the captain who was the one who had plundered my beloved zoraida said he was satisfied with the prize he had got and that he would not touch at any spanish port but pass the straits of gibraltar by night or as best he could and make for rochelle from which he had sailed so they agreed by common consent to give us the skiff belonging to their ship and all we required for the short voyage that remained to us and this they did the next day on coming in sight of the spanish coast with which and the joy we felt all our sufferings and miseries were as completely forgotten as if they had never been endured by us such is the delight of recovering lost liberty it may have been about midday when they placed us in the boat giving us two kegs of water and some biscuit and the captain moved by i know not what compassion as the lovely zoraida was about to embark gave her some forty gold crowns and would not permit his men to take from her those same garments which she has on now we got into the boat returning them thanks for their kindness to us and showing ourselves grateful rather than indignant they stood out to sea steering for the straits we without looking to any compass save the land we had before us set ourselves to row with such energy that by sunset we were so near that we might easily we thought land before the night was far advanced but as the moon did not show that night and the sky was clouded and as we knew not whereabouts we were it did not seem to us a prudent thing to make for the shore as several of us advised saying we ought to run ourselves ashore even if it were on rocks and far from any habitation for in this way we should be relieved from the apprehensions we naturally felt of the prowling vessels of the tetuan corsairs who leave barbary at nightfall and are on the spanish coast by daybreak where they commonly take some prize and then go home to sleep in their own houses but of the conflicting counsels the one which was adopted was that we should approach gradually and land where we could if the sea were calm enough to permit us this was done and a little before midnight we drew near to the foot of a huge and lofty mountain not so close to the sea but that it left a narrow space on which to land conveniently we ran our boat up on the sand and all sprang out and kissed the ground and with tears of joyful satisfaction returned thanks to god our lord for all his incomparable goodness to us on our voyage 
we took out of the boat the provisions it contained and drew it up on the shore and then climbed a long way up the mountain for even there we could not feel easy in our hearts or thoroughly persuade ourselves that it was christian soil that was now under our feet the dawn came more slowly i think than we could have wished we completed the ascent in order to see if from the summit any habitation or any shepherd's huts could be discovered but strain our eyes as we might neither dwelling nor human being nor path nor road could we perceive however we determined to push on farther as it could not but be that ere long we must see some one who could tell us where we were but what distressed me most was to see zoraida going on foot over that rough ground for though i once carried her on my shoulders she was more wearied by my weariness than rested by the rest and so she would never again allow me to undergo the exertion and went on very patiently and cheerfully while i led her by the hand we had gone rather less than a quarter of a league when the sound of a little bell fell on our ears a clear proof that there were flocks hard by and looking about carefully to see if any were within view we observed a young shepherd tranquilly and unsuspiciously trimming a stick with his knife at the foot of a cork tree we called to him and he raising his head sprang nimbly to his feet for as we afterwards learned the first who presented themselves to his sight were the renegade and zoraida and seeing them in moorish dress he imagined that all the moors of barbary were upon him and plunging with marvellous swiftness into the thicket in front of him he began to raise a prodigious outcry exclaiming the moors the moors have landed we were all thrown into perplexity by these cries not knowing what to do but reflecting that the shouts of the shepherd would raise the country and that the mounted coast-guard would come at once to see what was the matter we agreed that the renegade must strip off his turkish garments and put on a captive's jacket or coat which one of our party gave him at once though he himself was reduced to his shirt and so commending ourselves to god we followed the same road which we saw the shepherd take expecting every moment that the coast-guard would be down upon us nor did our expectation deceive us for two hours had not passed when coming out of the brushwood into the open ground we perceived some fifty mounted men swiftly approaching us at a hand-gallop as soon as we saw them we stood still waiting for them but as they came close and instead of the moors they were in quest of saw a set of poor christians they were taken aback and one of them asked if it could be we who were the cause of the shepherd having raised the call to arms i said yes and as i was about to explain to him what had occurred and whence we came and who we were one of the christians of our party recognized the horseman who had put the question to us and before i could say anything more he exclaimed thanks be to god sirs for bringing us to such good quarters for if i do not deceive myself the ground we stand on is that of valle malaga unless indeed all my years of captivity have made me unable to recollect that you senor who ask who we are are pedro de bustamente my uncle the christian captive had hardly uttered these words when the horseman threw himself off his horse and ran to embrace the young man crying nephew of my soul and life i recognize thee now and long have i mourned thee as dead i and my sister thy mother and all thy kin that are still alive and whom god has been pleased to preserve that they may enjoy the happiness of seeing thee we knew long since that thou wert in algiers and from the appearance of thy garments and those of all this company i conclude that ye have had a miraculous restoration to liberty 
it is true replied the young man and by and by we will tell you all as soon as the horsemen understood that we were christian captives they dismounted from their horses and each offered his to carry us to the city of velez malaga which was a league and a half distant some of them went to bring the boat to the city we having told them where we had left it others took us up behind them and zoraida was placed on the horse of the young man's uncle the whole town came out to meet us for they had by this time heard of our arrival from one who had gone on in advance they were not astonished to see liberated captives or moorish captives for people on that coast are well used to seeing both one and the other but they were astonished at the beauty of zoraida which was just then heightened as well by the exertion of travelling as by joy at finding herself on christian soil and relieved of all fear of being lost for this had brought such a glow upon her face that unless my affection for her were deceiving me i would venture to say that there was not a more beautiful creature in the world at least that i had ever seen we went straight to the church to return thanks to god for the mercies we had received and when zoraida entered it she said there were faces there like leila marian's we told her they were her images and as well as he could the renegade explained to her what they meant that she might adore them as if each of them were the very same leila marian that had spoken to her and she having great intelligence and a quick and clear instinct understood at once all he said to her about them thence they took us away and distributed us all in different houses in the town but as for the renegade zoraida and myself the christian who came with us brought us to the house of his parents who had a fair share of the gifts of fortune and treated us with as much kindness as they did their own son we remained six days in velez at the end of which the renegade having informed himself of all that was requisite for him to do set out for the city of granada to restore himself to the sacred bosom of the church through the medium of the holy inquisition the other released captives took their departures each the way that seemed best to him and zoraida and i were left alone with nothing more than the crowns which the courtesy of the frenchman had bestowed upon zoraida out of which i bought the beast on which she rides and i for the present attending her as her father and squire and not as her husband we are now going to ascertain if my father is living or if any of my brothers has had better fortune than mine has been though as heaven has made me the companion of zoraida i think no other lot could be assigned to me however happy that i would rather have the patience with which she endures the hardships that poverty brings with it and the eagerness she shows to become a christian are such that they fill me with admiration and bind me to serve her all my life though the happiness i feel in seeing myself hers and her mine is disturbed and marred by not knowing whether i shall find any corner to shelter her in my own country or whether time and death may not have made such changes in the fortunes and lives of my father and brothers that i shall hardly find any one who knows me if they are not to be found i have no more of my story to tell you gentlemen whether it be an interesting or a curious one let your better judgments decide all i can say is i would gladly have told it to you more briefly although my fear of wearying you has made me leave out more than one circumstance end of volume one part one chapter forty one recording by expatriate in bangor maine
volume one part one chapter forty two of the ingenious gentleman don quixote of la mancha by miguel de cervantes saavedra translated by john ormsby eighteen twenty nine to eighteen ninety five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter forty two which treats of what further took place in the inn and of several other things worth knowing with these words the captive held his peace and don fernando said to him in truth captain the manner in which you have related this remarkable adventure has been such as befitted the novelty and strangeness of the matter the whole story is curious and uncommon and abounds with incidents that fill the hearers with wonder and astonishment and so great is the pleasure we have found in listening to it that we should be glad if it were to begin again even though to-morrow were to find us still occupied with the same tale and while he said this cardenio and the rest of them offered to be of service to him in any way that lay in their power and in words and language so kindly and sincere that the captain was much gratified by their good will in particular don fernando offered if he would go back with him to get his brother the marquis to become godfather at the baptism of zoraida and on his own part to provide him with the means of making his appearance in his own country with the credit and comfort he was entitled to for all this the captive returned thanks very courteously but would not accept any of their generous offers by this time night closed in and as it did there came up to the inn a coach attended by some men on horseback who demanded accommodation to which the landlady replied that there was not a hand's breadth of the whole inn unoccupied still for all that said one of those who had entered on horseback room must be found for his lordship the judge here at this name the landlady was taken aback and said senor the fact is i have no beds but if his lordship the judge carries one with him as no doubt he does let him come in and welcome for my husband and i will give up our room to accommodate his worship very good so be it said the squire but in the meantime a man had got out of the coach whose dress indicated at a glance the office and post he held for the long robe with ruffled sleeves that he wore showed that he was as his servant said a judge of appeal he led by the hand a young girl in a travelling dress apparently about sixteen years of age and of such a high-bred air so beautiful and so graceful that all were filled with admiration when she made her appearance and but for having seen dorothea lucinda and zoraida who were there in the inn they would have fancied that a beauty like that of this maiden's would have been hard to find don quixote was present at the entrance of the judge with the young lady and as soon as he saw him he said your worship may with confidence enter and take your ease in this castle for though the accommodation be scanty and poor there are no quarters so cramped or inconvenient that they cannot make room for arms and letters above all if arms and letters have beauty for a guide and leader as letters represented by your worship have in this fair maiden to whom not only ought castles to throw themselves open and yield themselves up but rocks should rend themselves asunder and mountains divide and bow themselves down to give her a reception enter your worship i say into this paradise for here you will find stars and suns to accompany the heaven your worship brings with you here you will find arms in their supreme excellence and beauty in its highest perfection 
the judge was struck with amazement at the language of don quixote whom he scrutinized very carefully no less astonished by his figure than by his talk and before he could find words to answer him he had a fresh surprise when he saw opposite to him lucinda dorothea and zoraida who having heard of the new guests and of the beauty of the young lady had come to see her and welcome her don fernando cardenio and the curate however greeted him in a more intelligible and polished style in short the judge made his entrance in a state of bewilderment as well with what he saw as what he heard and the fair ladies of the inn gave the fair damsel a cordial welcome on the whole he could perceive that all who were there were people of quality but with the figure countenance and bearing of don quixote he was at his wit's end and all civilities having been exchanged and the accommodation of the inn inquired into it was settled as it had been before settled that all the women should retire to the garret that has been already mentioned and that the men should remain outside as if to guard them the judge therefore was very well pleased to allow his daughter for such the damsel was to go with the ladies which she did very willingly and with part of the host's narrow bed and half of what the judge had brought with him they made a more comfortable arrangement for the night than they had expected the captive whose heart had leaped within him the instant he saw the judge telling him somehow that this was his brother asked one of the servants who accompanied him what his name was and whether he knew from what part of the country he came the servants replied that he was called the licentiate juan perez de vidma and that he had heard it said he came from a village in the mountains of leon from this statement and what he himself had seen he felt convinced that this was his brother who had adopted letters by his father's advice and excited and rejoiced he called don fernando and cardenio and the curate aside and told them how the matter stood assuring them that the judge was his brother the servant had further informed him that he was now going to the indies with the appointment of judge of the supreme court of mexico and he had learned likewise that the young lady was his daughter whose mother had died in giving birth to her and that he was very rich in consequence of the dowry left to him with the daughter he asked their advice as to what means he should adopt to make himself known or to ascertain beforehand whether when he had made himself known his brother seeing him so poor would be ashamed of him or would receive him with a warm heart leave it to me to find out that said the curate though there is no reason for supposing captain that you will not be kindly received because the worth and wisdom that your brother's bearing shows him to possess do not make it likely that he will prove haughty or insensible or that he will not know how to estimate the accidents of fortune at their proper value still said the captain i would not make myself known abruptly but in some indirect way i have told you already said the curate that i will manage it in a way to satisfy us all by this time supper was ready and they all took their seats at the table except the captive and the ladies who supped by themselves in their own room in the middle of supper the curate said i had a comrade of your worship's name senor judge in constantinople where i was a captive for several years and the same comrade was one of the stoutest soldiers and captains in the whole spanish infantry but he had as large a share of misfortune as he had of gallantry and courage and how was the captain called senor asked the judge he was called ruy perez de vidma replied the curate and he was born in a village in the mountains of leon 
and he mentioned a circumstance connected with his father and his brothers which had it not been told me by so truthful a man as he was i should have set down as one of those fables the old women tell over the fire in winter for he said his father had divided his property among his three sons and had addressed words of advice to them sounder than any of cato's but i can say this much that the choice he made of going to the wars was attended with such success that by his gallant conduct and courage and without any help save his own merit he rose in a few years to be captain of infantry and to see himself on the high road and in possession to be given the command of a corps before long but fortune was against him for where he might have expected her favour he lost it and with it his liberty on that glorious day when so many recovered theirs at the battle of lepanto i lost mine at the galetta and after a variety of adventures we found ourselves comrades at constantinople thence we went to algiers where we met with one of the most extraordinary adventures that ever befell any one in this world here the curate went on to relate briefly his brother's adventure with zoraida to all which the judge gave such an attentive hearing as he had never yet given to any cause he heard the curate however only went so far as to describe how the frenchman plundered those who were in the boat and the poverty and distress in which his comrade and the fair moor were left of whom he said he had not been able to learn what became of them or whether they had reached spain or been carried to france by the frenchman the captain standing a little to one side was listening to all the curate said and watching every movement of his brother who as soon as he perceived the curate had made an end of his story gave a deep sigh and said with his eyes full of tears o oh, senor if you only knew what news you have given me and how it comes home to me making me show how i feel it with these tears that spring from my eyes in spite of all my worldly wisdom and self-restraint that brave captain that you speak of is my eldest brother who being of a bolder and loftier mind than my other brother or myself chose the honourable and worthy calling of arms which was one of the three careers our father proposed to us as your comrade mentioned in that fable you thought he was telling you i followed that of letters in which god in my own exertions have raised me to the position in which you see me my second brother is in peru so wealthy that with what he has sent to my father and to me he has fully repaid the portion he took with him and has even furnished my father's hands with the means of gratifying his natural generosity while i too have been enabled to pursue my studies in a more becoming and creditable fashion and so to attain my present standing my father is still alive though dying with anxiety to hear of his eldest son and he prays god unceasingly that death may not close his eyes until he has looked upon those of his son but with regard to him what surprises me is that having so much common sense as he had he should have neglected to give any intelligence about himself either in his troubles and sufferings or in his prosperity for if his father or any of us had known of his condition he need not have waited for that miracle of the reed to obtain his ransom but what now disquiets me is the uncertainty whether those frenchmen may have restored him to liberty or murdered him to hide the robbery all this will make me continue my journey not with the satisfaction in which i began it but in the deepest melancholy and sadness o oh, dear brother that i only knew where thou art now and i would hasten to seek thee out and deliver thee from thy sufferings though it were to cost me suffering myself o oh, that i could bring news to our old father that thou art alive 
even wert thou in the deepest dungeon of barbary for his wealth and my brother's and mine would rescue thee thence o beautiful and generous zoraida that i could repay thy goodness to a brother that i could be present at the new birth of thy soul and at thy bridal that would give us all such happiness all this and more the judge uttered with such deep emotion at the news he had received of his brother that all who heard him shared in it showing their sympathy with his sorrow the curate seeing then how well he had succeeded in carrying out his purpose and the captain's wishes had no desire to keep them unhappy any longer so he rose from the table and going into the room where zoraida was he took her by the hand lucinda dorothea and the judge's daughter following her a captain was waiting to see what the curate would do when the latter taking him with the other hand advanced with both of them to where the judge and the others were and said let your tears cease to flow senor judge and the wish of your heart be gratified as fully as you could desire for you have before you your worthy brother and your good sister-in-law he whom you see here is a captain vidma and this is the fair moor who has been so good to him the frenchmen i told you of have reduced them to the state of poverty you see that you may show the generosity of your kind heart the captain ran to embrace his brother who placed both hands on his breast so as to have a good look at him holding him a little way off but as soon as he had fully recognized him he clasped him in his arms so closely shedding such tears of heartfelt joy that most of those present could not but join in them the words the brothers exchanged the emotion they showed can scarcely be imagined i fancy much less put down in writing they told each other in a few words the events of their lives they showed the true affection of brothers in all its strength then the judge embraced zoraida putting all he possessed at her disposal then he made his daughter embrace her and the fair christian and the lovely moor drew fresh tears from every eye and there was don quixote observing all these strange proceedings attentively without uttering a word and attributing the whole to chimeras of knight-errantry then they agreed that the captain and zoraida should return with his brother to seville and send news to his father of his having been delivered and found so as to enable him to come and be present at the marriage and baptism of zoraida for it was impossible for the judge to put off his journey as he was informed that in a month from that time the fleet was to sail from seville for new spain and to miss the passage would have been a great inconvenience to him in short everybody was well pleased and glad at the captive's good fortune and as now almost two-thirds of the night were passed they resolved to retire to rest for the remainder of it don quixote offered to mount guard over the castle lest they should be attacked by some giant or other malevolent scoundrel covetous of the great treasure of beauty the castle contained those who understood him returned him thanks for this service and they gave the judge an account of his extraordinary humour with which he was not a little amused sancho panza alone was fuming at the lateness of the hour for retirement to rest and he of all was the one that made himself most comfortable as he stretched himself on the trappings of his ass which as will be told farther on cost him so dear the ladies then having retired to their chamber and the others having disposed themselves with as little discomfort as they could don quixote sallied out of the inn to act as sentinel of the castle as he had promised it happened however that a little before the approach of dawn a voice so musical and sweet reached the ears of the ladies 
that it forced them all to listen attentively but especially dorothea who had been awake and by whose side dona clara de vidma for so the judge's daughter was called lay sleeping no one could imagine who it was that sang so sweetly and the voice was unaccompanied by any instrument at one moment it seemed to them as if the singer were in the courtyard at another in the stable and as they were all attention wondering cardenio came to the door and said listen whoever is not asleep and you will hear a muleteer's voice that enchants as it chants we are listening to it already senor said dorothea on which cardenio went away and dorothea giving all her attention to it made out the words of the song to be these end of volume one part one chapter forty two recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter forty three of the ingenious gentleman don quixote of la mancha by miguel de cervantes saavedra translated by john ormsby eighteen twenty nine to eighteen ninety five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter forty three wherein is related the pleasant story of the muleteer together with other strange things that came to pass in the inn ah me love's mariner am i on love's deep ocean sailing i know not where the haven lies i dare not hope to gain it one solitary distant star is all i have to guide me a brighter orb than those of old that palinurus lighted and vaguely drifting am i borne i know not where it leads me i fix my gaze on it alone of all beside it heedless but overcautious prudery in coyness cold and cruel when most i need it these like clouds its longed-for light refuse me bright star goal of my yearning eyes as thou above me beamest when thou shalt hide thee from my sight i'll know that death is near me the singer had got so far when it struck dorothea that it was not fair to let clara miss hearing such a sweet voice so shaking her from side to side she woke her saying forgive me child for waking thee but i do so that thou mayest have the pleasure of hearing the best voice thou hast ever heard perhaps in all thy life clara awoke quite drowsy and not understanding at the moment what dorothea said asked her what it was she repeated what she had said and clara became attentive at once but she had hardly heard two lines as the singer continued when a strange trembling seized her as if she were suffering from a severe attack of quartan ague and throwing her arms around dorothea she said ah dear lady of my soul and life why did you wake me the greatest kindness fortune could do me now would be to close my eyes and ears so as neither to see nor hear that unhappy musician what art thou talking about child said dorothea why they say this singer is a muleteer nay he is the lord of many places replied clara and that one in my heart which he holds so firmly shall never be taken from him unless he be willing to surrender it dorothea was amazed at the ardent language of the girl for it seemed to be far beyond such experience of life as her tender years gave any promise of so she said to her you speak in such a way that i cannot understand you senora clara explain yourself more clearly 
and tell me what is this you are saying about hearts and places and this musician whose voice has so moved you but do not tell me anything now i do not want to lose the pleasure i get from listening to the singer by giving my attention to your transports for i perceive he is beginning to sing a new strain and a new air let him in heaven's name returned clara and not to hear him she stopped both ears with her hands at which dorothea was again surprised but turning her attention to the song she found that it ran in this fashion sweet hope my stay that onward to the goal of thy intent dost make thy way heedless of hindrance or impediment have thou no fear if at each step thou findest death is near no victory no joy of triumph doth the faint heart know unblest is he that a bold front to fortune dares not show but soul and sense and bondage yieldeth up to indolence if love his wares do dearly sell his right must be confessed what gold compares with that whereon his stamp he hath impressed and all men know what costeth little that we rate but low love resolute knows not the word impossibility and though my suit beset by endless obstacles i see yet no despair shall hold me bound to earth while heaven is there here the voice ceased and clara's sobs began afresh all which excited dorothea's curiosity to know what could be the cause of singing so sweet and weeping so bitter so she again asked her what it was she was going to say before on this clara afraid that lucinda might overhear her winding her arms tightly round dorothea put her mouth so close to her ear that she could speak safely without fear of being heard by any one else and said the singer dear senora is the son of a gentleman of aragon lord of two villages who lives opposite my father's house at madrid and though my father had curtains to the windows of his house in winter and blinds in summer in some way i know not how this gentleman who was pursuing his studies saw me whether in church or elsewhere i cannot tell and in fact fell in love with me and gave me to know it from the windows of his house with so many signs and tears that i was forced to believe him and even to love him without knowing what it was he wanted of me one of the signs he used to make me was to link one hand in the other to show me he wished to marry me and though i should have been glad if that could be being alone and motherless i knew not whom to open my mind to and so i left it as it was showing him no favour except when my father and his too were from home to raise the curtain or the blind a little and let him see me plainly at which he would show such delight that he seemed as if he were going mad meanwhile the time for my father's departure arrived which he became aware of but not from me for i had never been able to tell him of it he fell sick of grief i believe and so the day we were going away i could not see him to take farewell of him were it only with the eyes but after we had been two days on the road on entering the posada of a village a day's journey from this i saw him at the inn door in the dress of a muleteer and so well disguised that if i did not carry his image graven on my heart it would have been impossible for me to recognize him but i knew him and i was surprised and glad he watched me unsuspected by my father from whom he always hides himself when he crosses my path on the road or in the posadas where we halt and as i know what he is and reflect that for love of me he makes this journey on foot in all this hardship i am ready to die of sorrow 
and where he sets foot there i set my eyes i know not with what object he has come or how he could have got away from his father who loves him beyond measure having no other heir and because he deserves it as you will perceive when you see him and moreover i can tell you all that he sings is out of his own head for i have heard them say he is a great scholar and poet and what is more every time i see him or hear him sing i tremble all over and am terrified lest my father should recognize him and come to know of our loves i have never spoken a word to him in my life and for all that i love him so that i could not live without him this dear senora is all i have to tell you about the musician whose voice has delighted you so much and from it alone you might easily perceive he is no muleteer but a lord of hearts and towns as i told you already say no more doña clara said dorothea at this at the same time kissing her a thousand times over say no more i tell you but wait till day comes when i trust in god to arrange this affair of yours so that it may have the happy ending such an innocent beginning deserves ah senora said doña clara what end can be hoped for when his father is of such lofty position and so wealthy that he would think i was not fit to be even a servant to his son much less wife and as to marrying without the knowledge of my father i would not do it for all the world i would not ask anything more than that this youth should go back and leave me perhaps with not seeing him and the long distance we shall have to travel the pain i suffer now may become easier though i dare say the remedy i propose will do me very little good i don't know by what deviltry this has come about or how this love i have for him got in i such a young girl and he such a mere boy for i verily believe we are both of an age and i am not sixteen yet for i shall be sixteen michaelmas day next my father says dorothea could not help laughing to hear how like a child doña clara spoke let us go to sleep now senora said she for the little of the night that i fancy is left to us god will soon send us daylight and we will set all to rights or it will go hard with me with this they fell asleep and deep silence reigned all through the inn the only persons not asleep were the landlady's daughter and her servant maritornes who knowing the weak point of don quixote's humour and that he was outside the inn mounting guard in armour and on horseback resolved the pair of them to play some trick upon him or at any rate to amuse themselves for a while by listening to his nonsense as it so happened there was not a window in the whole inn that looked outwards except a hole in the wall of a straw loft through which they used to throw out the straw at this hole the two demi-damsels posted themselves and observed don quixote on his horse leaning on his pike and from time to time sending forth such deep and doleful sighs that he seemed to pluck up his soul by the roots with each of them and they could hear him too saying in a soft tender loving tone oh my lady dulcinea del toboso perfection of all beauty summit and crown of discretion treasure-house of grace depository of virtue and finally ideal of all that is good honourable and delectable in this world what is thy grace doing now art thou perchance mindful of thy enslaved knight who of his own free will hath exposed himself to so great perils and all to serve thee give me tidings of her o luminary of the three faces perhaps at this moment envious of hers thou art regarding her 
either as she paces to and fro some gallery of her sumptuous palaces or leans over some balcony meditating how whilst preserving her purity and greatness she may mitigate the tortures this wretched heart of mine endures for her sake what glory should recompense my sufferings what repose my toil and lastly what death my life and what reward my services and thou o son that art now doubtless harnessing thy steeds in haste to rise betimes and come forth to see my lady when thou seest her i entreat of thee to salute her on my behalf but have a care when thou shalt see her and salute her that thou kiss not her face for i shall be more jealous of thee than thou wert of that light-footed ingrate that made thee sweat and run so on the plains of thessaly or on the banks of the Peneus for i do not exactly recollect where it was thou didst run on that occasion in thy jealousy and love don quixote had got so far in his pathetic speech when the landlord's daughter began to signal to him saying senor come over here please at these signals and voice don quixote turned his head and saw by the light of the moon which then was in its full splendour that some one was calling to him from the hole in the wall which seemed to him to be a window and what is more with a gilt grating as rich castles such as he believed the inn to be ought to have and it immediately suggested itself to his imagination that as on the former occasion the fair damsel the daughter of the lady of the castle overcome by love for him was once more endeavouring to win his affections and with this idea not to show himself discourteous or ungrateful he turned rocinante's head and approached the hole and as he perceived the two wenches he said i pity you beauteous lady that you should have directed your thoughts of love to a quarter from whence it is impossible that such a return can be made to you as is due to your great merit and gentle birth for which you must not blame this unhappy knight-errant whom love renders incapable of submission to any other than her whom the first moment his eyes beheld her he made absolute mistress of his soul forgive me noble lady and retire to your apartment and do not by any further declaration of your passion compel me to show myself more ungrateful and if of the love you bear me you should find that there is anything else in my power wherein i can gratify you provided it be not love itself demanded of me for i swear to you by that sweet absent enemy of mine to grant it this instant though it be that you require of me a lock of medusa's hair which was all snakes or even the very beams of the sun shut up in a vial my mistress wants nothing of that sort sir knight said maritornes at this what then discreet dame is it that your mistress wants replied don quixote only one of your fair hands said maritornes to enable her to vent over it the great passion which has brought her to this loophole so much to the risk of her honour for if the lord her father had heard her the least slice he would cut off her would be her ear i should like to see that tried said don quixote but he had better beware of that if he does not want to meet the most disastrous end that ever father in the world met for having laid hands on the tender limbs of a love-stricken daughter maritornes felt sure that don quixote would present the hand she had asked and making up her mind what to do she got down from the hole and went into the stable where she took the halter of sancho panza's ass 
and in all haste returned to the hole just as don quixote had planted himself standing on rocinante's saddle in order to reach the grated window where he supposed the lovelorn damsel to be and giving her his hand he said lady take this hand or rather this scourge of the evil doers of the earth take i say this hand which no other hand of woman has ever touched not even hers who has complete possession of my entire body i present it to you not that you may kiss it but that you may observe the contexture of the sinews the close network of the muscles the breadth and capacity of the veins whence you may infer what must be the strength of the arm that has such a hand that we shall see presently said maritones and making a running knot on the halter she passed it over his wrist and coming down from the hole tied the other end very firmly to the bolt of the door of the straw loft don quixote feeling the roughness of the rope on his wrist exclaimed your grace seems to be grating rather than caressing my hand treat it not so harshly for it is not to blame for the offence my resolution has given you nor is it just to wreak all your vengeance on so small a part remember that one who loves so well should not revenge herself so cruelly but there was nobody now to listen to these words of don quixote's for as soon as maritornes had tied him she and the other made off ready to die with laughing leaving him fastened in such a way that it was impossible for him to release himself he was as has been said standing on rocinante with his arm passed through the hole and his wrist tied to the bolt of the door and in mighty fear and dread of being left hanging by the arm if rocinante were to stir one side or the other so he did not dare to make the least movement although from the patience and imperturbable disposition of rocinante he had good reason to expect that he would stand without budging for a whole century finding himself fast then and that the ladies had retired he began to fancy that all this was done by enchantment as on the former occasion when in that same castle that enchanted moor of a carrier had belaboured him and he cursed in his heart his own want of sense and judgment in venturing to enter the castle again after having come off so badly the first time it being a settled point with knights-errant that when they have tried an adventure and have not succeeded in it it is a sign that it is not reserved for them but for others and that therefore they need not try it again nevertheless he pulled his arm to see if he could release himself but it had been made so fast that all his efforts were in vain it is true he pulled it gently lest rocinante should move but try as he might to seat himself in the saddle he had nothing for it but to stand upright or pull his hand off then it was he wished for the sword of amadis against which no enchantment whatever had any power then he cursed his ill fortune then he magnified the loss the world would sustain by his absence while he remained there enchanted for that he believed he was beyond all doubt then he once more took to thinking of his beloved dulcinea del toboso then he called to his worthy squire sancho panza who buried in sleep and stretched upon the pack-saddle of his ass was oblivious at that moment of the mother that bore him then he called upon the sages lirgandeo and alquife to come to his aid then he invoked his good friend urganda to succour him and then at last morning found him in such a state of desperation and perplexity that he was bellowing like a bull for he had no hope that day would bring any relief to his suffering which he believed would last for ever inasmuch as he was enchanted and of this he was convinced by seeing that rocinante never stirred much or little and he felt persuaded that he and his horse 
were to remain in this state without eating or drinking or sleeping until the malign influence of the stars was overpassed or until some other more sage enchanter should disenchant him but he was very much deceived in this conclusion for daylight had hardly begun to appear when there came up to the inn four men on horseback well equipped and accoutred with firelocks across their saddle-bows they called out and knocked loudly at the gate of the inn which was still shut on seeing which don quixote even there where he was did not forget to act as sentinel and said in a loud and imperious tone knights or squires or whatever ye be ye have no right to knock at the gates of this castle for it is plain enough that they who are within are either asleep or else are not in the habit of throwing open the fortress until the sun's rays are spread over the whole surface of the earth withdraw to a distance and wait till it is broad daylight and then we shall see whether it will be proper or not to open to you what the devil fortress or castle is this said one to make us stand on such ceremony if you are the innkeeper bid them open to us we are travellers who only want to feed our horses and go on for we are in haste do you think gentlemen that i look like an innkeeper said don quixote i don't know what you look like replied the other but i know that you are talking nonsense when you call this inn a castle a castle it is returned don quixote nay more one of the best in this whole province and it has within it people who have had the sceptre in the hand and the crown on the head it would be better if it were the other way said the traveller the sceptre on the head and the crown in the hand but if so maybe there is within some company of players with whom it is a common thing to have those crowns and sceptres you speak of for in such a small inn as this and where such silence is kept i do not believe any people entitled to crowns and sceptres can have taken up their quarters you know but little of the world returned don quixote since you are ignorant of what commonly occurs in knight-errantry but the comrades of the spokesman growing weary of the dialogue with don quixote renewed their knocks with great vehemence so much so that the host and not only he but everybody in the inn awoke and he got up to ask who knocked it happened at this moment that one of the horses of the four who were seeking admittance went to smell rocinante who melancholy dejected and with drooping ears stood motionless supporting his sorely stretched master and as he was after all flesh though he looked as if he were made of wood he could not help giving way and in return smelling the one who had come to offer him attentions but he had hardly moved at all when don quixote lost his footing and slipping off the saddle he would have come to the ground but for being suspended by the arm which caused him such agony that he believed either his wrist would be cut through or his arm torn off and he hung so near the ground that he could just touch it with his feet which was all the worse for him for finding how little was wanted to enable him to plant his feet firmly he struggled and stretched himself as much as he could to gain a footing just like those undergoing the torture of the strapado when they are fixed at touch and no touch who aggravate their own sufferings by their violent efforts to stretch themselves deceived by the hope which makes them fancy that with a very little more they will reach the ground end of volume one part one chapter forty three recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter forty four of the ingenious gentleman don quixote of la mancha by miguel de cervantes saavedra 
translated by john ormsby eighteen twenty nine to eighteen ninety five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter forty four in which are continued the unheard-of adventures of the inn so loud in fact were the shouts of don quixote that the landlord opening the gate of the inn in all haste and those who were outside came out in dismay and ran to see who was uttering such cries and those who were outside joined him maritornes who had been by this time roused up by the same outcry suspecting what it was ran to the loft and without any one seeing her untied the halter by which don quixote was suspended and down he came to the ground in the sight of the landlord and the travellers who approaching asked him what was the matter with him that he shouted so he without replying a word took the rope off his wrist and rising to his feet leaped upon rocinante braced his buckler on his arm put his lance in rest and making a considerable circuit of the plain came back at a half gallop exclaiming whoever shall say that i have been enchanted with just cause provided my lady the princess micomicona grants me permission to do so i give him the lie challenge him and defy him to single combat the newly arrived travellers were amazed at the words of don quixote but the landlord removed their surprise by telling them who he was and not to mind him as he was out of his senses they then asked the landlord if by any chance a youth of about fifteen years of age had come to that inn one dressed like a muleteer and of such and such an appearance describing that of dona clara's lover the landlord replied that there were so many people in the inn he had not noticed the person they were inquiring for but one of them observing the coach in which the judge had come said he is here no doubt for this is the coach he is following let one of us stay at the gate and the rest go in to look for him or indeed it would be as well if one of us went round the inn lest he should escape over the wall of the yard so be it said another and while two of them went in one remained at the gate and the other made the circuit of the inn observing all which the landlord was unable to conjecture for what reason they were taking all these precautions though he understood they were looking for the youth whose description they had given him it was by this time broad daylight and for that reason as well as in consequence of the noise don quixote had made everybody was awakened up but particularly dona clara and dorothea for they had been able to sleep but badly that night the one from agitation at having her lover so near her the other from curiosity to see him don quixote when he saw that not one of the four travellers took any notice of him or replied to his challenge was furious and ready to die with indignation and wrath and if he could have found in the ordinances of chivalry that it was lawful for a knight-errant to undertake or engage in another enterprise when he had plighted his word and faith not to involve himself in any until he had made an end of the one to which he was pledged he would have attacked the whole of them and would have made them return in answer in spite of themselves but considering that it would not become him nor be right to begin any new emprise until he had established micomicona in her kingdom he was constrained to hold his peace and wait quietly to see what would be the upshot of the proceedings of those same travellers one of whom found the youth they were seeking lying asleep by the side of a muleteer without a thought of any one coming in search of him much less finding him the man laid hold of him by the arm saying it becomes you well indeed senor don luis to be in the dress you wear and well the bed in which i find you agrees with the luxury in which your mother reared you 
the youth rubbed his sleepy eyes and stared for a while at him who held him but presently recognized him as one of his father's servants at which he was so taken aback that for some time he could not find or utter a word while the servant went on to say there is nothing for it now senor don luis but to submit quietly and return home unless it is your wish that my lord your father should take his departure for the other world for nothing else can be the consequence of the grief he is in at your absence but how did my father know that i had gone this road and in this dress said don luis it was a student to whom you confided your intentions answered the servant that disclosed them touched with pity at the distress he saw your father suffer on missing you he therefore dispatched four of his servants in quest of you and here we all are at your service better pleased than you can imagine that we shall return so soon and restore you to those eyes that so yearn for you that shall be as i please or as heaven orders returned don luis what can you please or heaven order said the other except to agree to go back anything else is impossible all this conversation between the two was overheard by the muleteer at whose side don luis lay and rising he went to report what had taken place to don fernando cardenio and the others who had by this time dressed themselves and told them how the man had addressed the youth as don and what words had passed and how he wanted him to return to his father which the youth was unwilling to do with this and what they already knew of the rare voice that heaven had bestowed upon him they all felt very anxious to know more particularly who he was and even to help him if it was attempted to employ force against him so they hastened to where he was still talking and arguing with his servant dorothea at this instant came out of her room followed by dona clara all in a tremor and calling cardenio aside she told him in a few words the story of the musician and dona clara and he at the same time told what had happened how his father's servants had come in search of him but in telling her so he did not speak low enough but that dona clara heard what he said at which she was so much agitated that had not dorothea hastened to support her she would have fallen to the ground cardenio then bade dorothea return to her room as he would endeavour to make the whole matter right and they did as he desired all the four who had come in quest of don luis had now come into the inn and surrounded him urging him to return and console his father and at once without a moment's delay he replied that he could not do so on any account until he had concluded some business in which his life honour and heart were at stake the servants pressed him saying that most certainly they would not return without him and that they would take him away whether he liked it or not you shall not do that replied don luis unless you take me dead though however you take me it will be without life by this time most of those in the inn had been attracted by the dispute but particularly cardenio don fernando his companions the judge the curate the barber and don quixote for he now considered there was no necessity for mounting guard over the castle any longer cardenio being already acquainted with the young man's story asked the men who wanted to take him what object they had in seeking to carry off this youth against his will our object said one of the four is to save the life of his father who is in danger of losing it through this gentleman's disappearance upon this don luis exclaimed there is no need to make my affairs public here i am free and i will return if i please and if not none of you shall compel me reason will compel your worship said the man 
and if it has no power over you it has power over us to make us do what we came for and what it is our duty to do let us hear what the whole affair is about said the judge at this but the man who knew him as a neighbour of theirs replied do you not know this gentleman senor judge he is the son of your neighbour who has run away from his father's house in a dress so unbecoming his rank as your worship may perceive the judge on this looked at him more carefully and recognized him and embracing him said what folly is this senor don luis or what can have been the cause that could have induced you to come here in this way and in this dress which so ill becomes your condition tears came into the eyes of the young man and he was unable to utter a word in reply to the judge who told the four servants not to be uneasy for all would be satisfactorily settled and then taking don luis by the hand he drew him aside and asked the reason of his having come there but while he was questioning him they heard a loud outcry at the gate of the inn the cause of which was that two of the guests who had passed the night there seeing everybody busy about finding out what it was the four men wanted had conceived the idea of going off without paying what they owed but the landlord who minded his own affairs more than other people's caught them going out of the gate and demanded his reckoning abusing them for their dishonesty with such language that he drove them to reply with their fists and so they began to lay on him in such a style that the poor man was forced to cry out and call for help the landlady and her daughter could see no one more free to give aid than don quixote and to him the daughter said sir knight by the virtue god has given you help my poor father for there are two wicked men beating him to a mummy to which don quixote very deliberately and phlegmatically replied fair damsel at the present moment your request is inopportune for i am debarred from involving myself in any adventure until i have brought to a happy conclusion one to which my word has pledged me but that which i can do for you is what i will now mention run and tell your father to stand his ground as well as he can in this battle and on no account to allow himself to be vanquished while i go and request permission of the princess mikomikona to enable me to succour him in his distress and if she grants it rest assured i will relieve him from it sinner that i am exclaimed maritones who stood by before you have got your permission my master will be in the other world give me leave senora to obtain the permission i speak of returned don quixote and if i get it it will matter very little if he is in the other world for i will rescue him thence in spite of all the same world can do or at any rate i will give you such a revenge over those who shall have sent him there that you will be more than moderately satisfied and without saying anything more he went and knelt before dorothea requesting her highness in knightly and errant phrase to be pleased to grant him permission to aid and succour the castellan of the castle who now stood in grievous jeopardy the princess granted it graciously and he at once bracing his buckler on his arm and drawing his sword hastened to the inn gate where the two guests were handling the landlord roughly but as soon as he reached the spot he stopped short and stood still though maritornes and the landlady asked him why he hesitated to help their master and husband i hesitate said don quixote because it is not lawful for me to draw a sword against persons of squirely condition but call my squire sancho to me for this defence and vengeance are his affair and business thus matters stood at the inn gate where there was a very lively exchange of fisticuffs and punches to the sore damage of the landlord and to the wrath of maritornes the landlady and her daughter who were furious when they saw the pusillanimity of don quixote 
and the hard treatment their master husband and father was undergoing but let us leave him there for he will surely find someone to help him and if not let him suffer and hold his tongue who attempts more than his strength allows him to do and let us go back fifty paces to see what don luis said in reply to the judge when we left questioning him privately as to his reasons for coming on foot and so meanly dressed to which the youth pressing his hand in a way that showed his heart was troubled by some great sorrow and shedding a flood of tears made answer senor i have no more to tell you than that for the moment when through heaven's will and our being near neighbors i first saw dona clara your daughter and my lady from that instant i made her the mistress of my will and if yours my true lord and father offers no impediment this very day she shall become my wife for her i left my father's house and for her i assumed this disguise to follow her whithersoever she may go as the arrow seeks its mark or the sailor the pole star she knows nothing more of my passion than what she may have learned from having sometimes seen from a distance that my eyes were filled with tears you know already senor the wealth and noble birth of my parents and that i am their sole heir if this be a sufficient inducement for you to venture to make me completely happy accept me at once as your son for if my father influenced by other objects of his own should disapprove of this happiness i have sought for myself time has more power to alter and change things than human will with this the love-smitten youth was silent while the judge after hearing him was astonished perplexed and surprised as well at the manner and intelligence with which don luis had confessed the secret of his heart as at the position in which he found himself not knowing what course to take in a matter so sudden and unexpected all the answer therefore he gave him was to bid him to make his mind easy for the present and arrange with his servants not to take him back that day so that there might be time to consider what was best for all parties don luis kissed his hands by force nay bathed them with his tears in a way that would have touched a heart of marble not to say that of the judge who as a shrewd man had already perceived how advantageous the marriage would be to his daughter though were it possible he would have preferred that it should be brought about with the consent of the father of don luis who he knew looked for a title for his son the guests had by this time made peace with the landlord for by persuasion and don quixote's fair words more than by threats they had paid him what he demanded and the servants of don luis were waiting for the end of the conversation with the judge and their master's decision when the devil who never sleeps contrived that the barber from whom don quixote had taken mambrino's helmet and sancho panza the trappings of his ass in exchange for those of his own should at this instant enter the inn which said barber as he led his ass to the stable observed sancho panza engaged in repairing something or other belonging to the pack-saddle and the moment he saw it he knew it and made bold to attack sancho exclaiming ho sir thief i have caught you hand over my basin and my pack-saddle and all my trappings that you rob me of sancho finding himself so unexpectedly assailed and hearing the abuse poured upon him seized the pack-saddle with one hand and with the other gave the barber a cuff that bathed his teeth in blood the barber however was not so ready to relinquish the prize he had made in the pack-saddle on the contrary he raised such an outcry that every one in the inn came running to know what the noise and quarrel meant here in the name of the king and justice he cried this thief and highwayman wants to kill me for trying to recover my property you lie said sancho i am no highwayman 
it was in fair war my master don quixote won these spoils don quixote was standing by at the time highly pleased to see his squire's stoutness both offensive and defensive and from that time forth he reckoned him a man of metal and in his heart resolved to dub him a knight on the first opportunity that presented itself feeling sure that the order of chivalry would be fittingly bestowed upon him in the course of the altercation among other things the barber said gentlemen this pack saddle is mine as surely as i owe god a death and i know it as well as if i had given birth to it and here is my ass in the stable who will not let me lie only try it and if it does not fit him like a glove call me a rascal and what is more the same day i was robbed of this they robbed me likewise of a new brass basin never yet hand selled that would fetch a crown any day at this don quixote could not keep himself from answering and interposing between the two and separating them he placed the pack-saddle on the ground to lie there in sight until the truth was established and said your worships may perceive clearly and plainly the error under which this worthy squire lies when he calls that a basin which was is and shall be the helmet of mambrino which i won from him in fair war and made myself master of by legitimate and lawful possession with the pack-saddle i do not concern myself but i may tell you on that head that my squire sancho asked my permission to strip off the caparison of this vanquished poltroon's steed and with it adorn his own i allowed him and he took it and as to its having been changed from a caparison into a pack-saddle i can give no explanation except the usual one that such transformations will take place in adventures of chivalry to confirm all which run sancho my son and fetch hither the helmet which this good fellow calls a basin egad master said sancho if we have no other proof of our case than what your worship puts forward mambrino's helmet is just as much a basin as this good fellow's caparison is a pack-saddle do as i bid thee said don quixote it cannot be that everything in this castle goes by enchantment sancho hastened to where the basin was and brought it back with him and when don quixote saw it he took hold of it and said your worships may see with what a face this squire can assert that this is a basin and not the helmet i told you of and i swear by the order of chivalry i profess that this helmet is the identical one i took from him without anything added to or taken from it there is no doubt of that said sancho for from the time my master won it until now he has only fought one battle in it when he let loose those unlucky men in chains and if it had not been for this basin helmet he would not have come off over well that time for there was plenty of stone throwing in that affair end of volume one part one chapter forty four recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter forty five of the ingenious gentleman don quixote of la mancha by miguel de cervantes saavedra translated by john ormsby eighteen twenty nine to eighteen ninety five this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine volume one part one chapter forty five in which the doubtful question of mambrino's helmet and the pack-saddle is finally settled with other adventures that occurred in truth and earnest what do you think now gentlemen said the barber of what these gentles say when they even want to make out that this is not a basin but a helmet 
and whoever says the contrary said don quixote i will let him know he lies if he is a knight and if he is a squire that he lies again a thousand times our own barber who was present at all this and understood don quixote's humour so thoroughly took it into his head to back up his delusion and carry on the joke for the general amusement so addressing the other barber he said senor barber or whatever you are you must know that i belong to your profession too and have had a license to practise for more than twenty years and i know the implements of the barber craft every one of them perfectly well and i was likewise a soldier for some time in the days of my youth and i know also what a helmet is and a morion and a headpiece with a visor and other things pertaining to soldiering i mean to say to soldiers arms and i say saving better opinions and always with submission to sounder judgments that this piece we have now before us which this worthy gentleman has in his hands not only is no barber's basin but is as far from being one as white is from black and truth from falsehood i say moreover that this although it is a helmet is not a complete helmet certainly not said don quixote for half of it is wanting that is to say the beaver it is quite true said the curate who saw the object of his friend the barber and cardenio don fernando and his companions agreed with him and even the judge if his thoughts had not been so full of don luis's affair would have helped to carry on the joke but he was so taken up with the serious matters he had on his mind that he paid little or no attention to these facetious proceedings god bless me exclaimed their butt the barber at this is it possible that such an honourable company can say that this is not a basin but a helmet why this is a thing that would astonish a whole university however wise it might be that will do if this basin is a helmet why then the pack-saddle must be a horse's caparison as this gentleman has said to me it looks like a pack-saddle said don quixote but i have already said that with that question i do not concern myself as to whether it be pack-saddle or caparison said the curate it is only for senor don quixote to say for in these matters of chivalry all these gentlemen and i bow to his authority by god gentlemen said don quixote so many strange things have happened to me in this castle on the two occasions on which i have sojourned in it that i will not venture to assert anything positively in reply to any question touching anything it contains for it is my belief that everything that goes on within it goes by enchantment the first time an enchanted moor that there is in it gave me sore trouble nor did sancho fare well among certain followers of his and last night i was kept hanging by this arm for nearly two hours without knowing how or why i came by such a mishap so that now for me to come forward to give an opinion in such a puzzling matter would be to risk a rash decision as regards the assertion that this is a basin and not a helmet i have already given an answer but as to the question whether this is a pack-saddle or a caparison i will not venture to give a positive opinion but will leave it to your worship's better judgment perhaps as you are not dubbed knights like myself the enchantments of this place have nothing to do with you and your faculties are unfettered and you can see things in this castle as they really and truly are and not as they appear to me there can be no question said don fernando on this but that senor don quixote has spoken very wisely and that with us rests the decision of this matter and that we may have surer ground to go on i will take the votes of the gentlemen in secret and declare the result clearly and fully to those who were in the secret of don quixote's humour all this afforded great amusement 
but to those who knew nothing about it it seemed the greatest nonsense in the world in particular to the four servants of don luis as well as to don luis himself and to three other travellers who had by chance come to the inn and had the appearance of officers of the holy brotherhood as indeed they were but the one who above all was at his wit's end was the barber whose basin there before his very eyes had been turned into mambrino's helmet and whose pack-saddle he had no doubt whatever was about to become a rich caparison for a horse all laughed to see don quixote going from one to another collecting the votes and whispering to them to give him their private opinion whether the treasure over which there had been so much fighting was a pack-saddle or a caparison but after he had taken the votes of those who knew don quixote he said aloud the fact is my good fellow that i am tired collecting such a number of opinions for i find that there is not one of whom i ask what i desire to know who does not tell me that it is absurd to say that this is the pack-saddle of an ass and not the caparison of a horse nay of a thoroughbred horse so you must submit for in spite of you and your ass this is a caparison and no pack-saddle and you have stated and proved your case very badly may i never share heaven said the poor barber if your worships are not all mistaken and may my soul appear before god as that appears to me a pack-saddle and not a caparison but laws go i say it no more and indeed i am not drunk for i am fasting except it be from sin the simple talk of the barber did not afford less amusement than the absurdities of don quixote who now observed there is no more to be done now than for each to take what belongs to him and to whom god has given it may saint peter add his blessing but said one of the four servants unless indeed this is a deliberate joke i cannot bring myself to believe that men so intelligent as those present are or seem to be can venture to declare and assert that this is not a basin and that not a pack-saddle but as i perceive that they do assert and declare it i can only come to the conclusion that there is some mystery in this persistence in what is so opposed to the evidence of experience and truth itself for i swear by and here he rapped out a round oath all the people in the world who will not make me believe that this is not a barber's basin and that a jackass's pack-saddle it might easily be a she-ass's observed the curate it is all the same said the servant that is not the point but whether it is or is not a pack-saddle as your worships say on hearing this one of the newly arrived officers of the brotherhood who had been listening to the dispute and controversy unable to restrain his anger and impatience exclaimed it is a pack-saddle as sure as my father is my father and whoever has said or will say anything else must be drunk you lie like a rascally clown returned don quixote and lifting his pike which he had never let out of his hand he delivered such a blow at his head that had not the officer dodged it it would have stretched him at full length the pike was shivered in pieces against the ground and the rest of the officers seeing their comrade assaulted raised a shout calling for help for the holy brotherhood the landlord who was of the fraternity ran at once to fetch his staff of office and his sword and ranged himself on the side of his comrades the servants of don luis clustered round him lest he should escape from them in the confusion the barber seeing the house turned upside down once more laid hold of his pack-saddle and sancho did the same don quixote drew his sword and charged the officers don luis cried out to his servants to leave him alone and go and help don quixote and cardenio and don fernando who were supporting him 
the curate was shouting at the top of his voice the landlady was screaming her daughter was wailing maritornes was weeping dorothea was aghast lucinda terror-stricken and dona clara in a faint the barber cudgelled sancho and sancho pummeled the barber don luis gave one of his servants who ventured to catch him by the arm to keep him from escaping a cuff that bathed his teeth in blood the judge took his part don fernando had got one of the officers down and was belaboring him heartily the landlord raised his voice again calling for help for the holy brotherhood so that the whole inn was nothing but cries shouts shrieks confusion terror dismay mishaps sword cuts fisticuffs cudgelings kicks and bloodshed and in the midst of all this chaos complication and general entanglement don quixote took it into his head that he had been plunged into the thick of the discord of agramante's camp and in a voice that shook the inn like thunder he cried out hold all let all sheath their swords let all be calm and attend to me as they value their lives all paused at his mighty voice and he went on to say did i not tell you sirs that this castle was enchanted and that a legion or so of devils dwelt in it in proof whereof i call upon you to behold with your own eyes how the discord of agramante's camp has come hither and been transferred into the midst of us see how they fight there for the sword here for the horse on that side for the eagle on this for the helmet we are all fighting and all at cross purposes come then you senor judge and you senor curate let the one represent king agramante and the other king sobrino and make peace among us for by god almighty it is a sorry business that so many persons of quality as we are should slay one another for such trifling cause the officers who did not understand don quixote's mode of speaking and found themselves roughly handled by don fernando cardenio and their companions were not to be appeased the barber was however for both his beard and his pack-saddle were the worse for the struggle sancho like a good servant obeyed the slightest word of his master while the four servants of don luis kept quiet when they saw how little they gained by not being so the landlord alone insisted upon it that they must punish the insolence of this madman who at every turn raised a disturbance in the inn but at length the uproar was stilled for the present the pack-saddle remained a caparison till the day of judgment and the basin a helmet and the inn a castle in don quixote's imagination all having been now pacified and made friends by the persuasion of the judge and the curate the servants of don luis began again to urge him to return with them at once and while he was discussing the matter with them the judge took counsel with don fernando cardenio and the curate as to what he ought to do in the case telling them how it stood and what don luis had said to him it was agreed at length that don fernando should tell the servants of don luis who he was and that it was his desire that don luis should accompany him to andalusia where he would receive from the marquis his brother the welcome his quality entitled him to for otherwise it was easy to see from the determination of don luis that he would not return to his father at present though they tore him to pieces on learning the rank of don fernando and the resolution of don luis the four then settled it between themselves that three of them should return to tell his father how matters stood and that the other should remain to wait upon don luis and not leave him until they came back for him or his father's orders were known thus by the authority of agramante and the wisdom of king sobrino all this complication of disputes was arranged but the enemy of concord and hater of peace feeling himself slighted and made a fool of 
and seeing how little he had gained after having involved them all in such an elaborate entanglement resolved to try his hand once more by stirring up fresh quarrels and disturbances it came about in this wise the officers were pacified on learning the rank of those with whom they had been engaged and withdrew from the contest considering that whatever the result might be they were likely to get the worst of the battle but one of them the one who had been thrashed and kicked by don fernando recollected that among some warrants he carried for the arrest of certain delinquents he had one against don quixote whom the holy brotherhood had ordered to be arrested for setting the galley slaves free as sancho had with very good reason apprehended suspecting how it was then he wished to satisfy himself as to whether don quixote's features corresponded and taking a parchment out of his bosom he lit upon what he was in search of and setting himself to read it deliberately for he was not a quick reader as he made out each word he fixed his eyes on don quixote and went on comparing the description in the warrant with his face and discovered that beyond all doubt he was the person described in it as soon as he had satisfied himself folding up the parchment he took the warrant in his left hand and with his right seized don quixote by the collar so tightly that he did not allow him to breathe and shouted out help for the holy brotherhood and that you may see i demand it in earnest read this warrant which says this highwayman is to be arrested the curate took the warrant and saw that what the officer said was true and that it agreed with don quixote's appearance who on his part when he found himself roughly handled by this rascally clown worked up to the highest pitch of wrath and all his joints cracking with rage with both hands seized the officer by the throat with all his might so that had he not been helped by his comrades he would have yielded up his life ere don quixote released his hold the landlord who had perforce to support his brother officers ran at once to aid them the landlady when she saw her husband engaged in a fresh quarrel lifted up her voice afresh and its note was immediately caught up by maritornes and her daughter calling upon heaven and all present for help and sancho seeing what was going on exclaimed by the lord it is quite true what my master says about the enchantments of this castle for it is impossible to live an hour in peace in it don fernando parted the officer and don quixote and to their mutual contentment made them relax the grip by which they held the one the coat-collar the other the throat of his adversary for all this however the officers did not cease to demand their prisoner and call on them to help and deliver him over bound into their power as was required for the service of the king and of the holy brotherhood on whose behalf they again demanded aid and assistance to effect the capture of this robber and footpad of the highways and byways don quixote smiled when he heard these words and said very calmly come now base ill-born brood call ye it highway robbery to give freedom to those in bondage to release the captives to succour the miserable to raise up the fallen to relieve the needy infamous beings who by your vile grovelling intellects deserve that heaven should not make known to you the virtue that lies in knight-errantry or show you the sin and ignorance in which ye lie when ye refuse to respect the shadow not to say the presence of any knight-errant come now band not of officers but of thieves footpads with the license of the holy brotherhood tell me who was the ignoramus who signed a warrant of arrest against such a knight as i am 
who was he that did not know that knights errant are independent of all jurisdictions that their law is their sword their charter their prowess and their edicts their will who i say again was the fool that knows not that there are no letters patent of nobility that confer such privileges or exemptions as a knight-errant acquires the day he is dubbed a knight and devotes himself to the arduous calling of chivalry what knight-errant ever paid poll-tax duty queen's pin-money king's dues toll or ferry what tailor ever took payment of him for making his clothes what castellan that received him in his castle ever made him pay his shot what king did not seat him at his table what damsel was not enamoured of him and did not yield herself up wholly to his will or pleasure and lastly what knight-errant has there been is there or will there ever be in the world not bold enough to give single-handed four hundred cudgelings to four hundred officers of the holy brotherhood if they came in his way End of Volume 1, Part 1, Chapter 45, Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine.